0: We started attending Grace back when it met at Continental Cars, and they would take most of the cars out, but there were often still a couple of cars in that showroom. It was obvious that we needed to expand and grow, but we needed some property. Little did we know that this place way out in the country that the Lord had in mind that today if we dropped a pin on the center of Metroplex Austin, it would be right here. This is a place that we love dearly. Part of our testimony is that our kids were here in a youth group that really, really challenged them to live for God. And we look at our kids today and the way they're living their lives, committed believers, following Christ, raising their kids that way. It's just an incredible blessing to us. And we're just... We're just thankful we found this place when we did. What keeps me here at Grace is, I know that I'm gonna hear amazing Bible teaching that'll help me know more about the scriptures, but it's also the relationships, the people that have encouraged me to keep going in the Christian life, and it's the sense of corporate worship. There's just a high view of God at Grace, and that sort of permeates everything and, and creates that atmosphere of worship. The teaching that is always truth, from God's word, not compromising on that, but in a way that's more than just gaining knowledge, it's about transformation, and there's always practical application. What I love about Grace is all the different couples and and different people at Grace that invest in each other and how they serve each other in this body of Christ, and I think that we are serving each other and others outside our church for eternity. I think in a way, Grace's story is going to be the story of Austin and what God's doing here and our location is not an accident. This is God's church. He's got his hands all over this. I'm way more excited about the future of Grace because it's clear that it's tied to what God is doing in Austin in a big way. I think the thing that really touched us was the way that the elders were ready to do whatever was needed to see God take this work on. And they worked very hard, and I can remember that. We're thankful for not only progress, but the way you're really touching not only Austin, but Texas and the nations. Through all the changes of different pastors, of different types of music and music directors, and even of people at Grace that have come and gone, I really see how Grace Covenant has changed and become what I believe God wants us to be, and we're still growing. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Grace Covenant Church. Hey, if you haven't made plans, and maybe this is your first week here, hey, we would love to buy you lunch. As a matter of fact, if your first week here, we're going to have a big party out in the courtyard. Kanye West has brought his worship band today. They'll be playing. I know, I know. That's short notice, too. It's going to be... He's not coming, so... But uh, please, by all means, stay. We'll have all kinds of festivities for every age group. It'll be a good time. Fifty years ago, Grace opened its doors to teach the truths that are found in the Bible. The highest form of revelation from God himself. It tells us about the nature of God. Who is Yahweh and what has he done? His acts of mercy and love. It gives us hope for future justice to finally take place. And it was the first, Grace was the first Bible church in Austin. And the rest... Is history. Uh, it all started in a, a living room of Dr. Joe McElhaney. I wonder if Dr. McElhaney is here today. Is he here? He told me a funds. He was here about it six weeks ago. He told me a great story I hadn't heard before. I, I've heard a few stories here, but when they were looking at purchasing this real estate. Um, there was a factory, small factory that was here, and some of the uh, people involved in making the decision wanted a little bit, to know a little bit more, so they set out a reconnaissance team and some of the wives of the guys that were involved. And so Mrs. McElhaney and, and Peggy Bauer and I think one other lady were up here looking around uh, after hours, and they were snooping, and someone called security, and so it, they got in a lot of trouble, a little little bit of breaking and entering, right? So the church started with women doing a little breaking and entering, and then when you hear that story, you go, that's why I feel so connected here, right? It's like all of God's pirates said. Yeah, I relate to that. I mean, we had a whole campaign called Grace is Weird that went on for about five years that sold a lot of t-shirts. Hey, let's turn up the house lights. Let's just kind of do a survey of some fun things that we've experienced together. So uh, how many of you guys uh, were introduced and, and maybe even found Christ or Christ found you in the context of the ministries of Grace Covenant Church? Why don't you raise your hand? Oh, that's fun. How many of you were baptized here at Grace? Awesome. Uh, anyone, anyone meet their spouse here at Grace? A few of you guys? How many of you have dedicated a child here at Grace? Wow. Okay. Lots of you. Uh, How many of you have gone on one of our mission trips around the world? Good things. Uh, Have you served in one of the many many ministries at Grace? Lots of hands. There you go. Introduce someone else to Jesus Christ, whether they responded or not, how how they responded. It's not up to you. How many of you share the Lord because of your ministry here at Grace? How many of you have gone to one of our camps and retreats? Awesome. How many of you went to one of the camps and retreats I did and I left you in hell? Right? Like, I'm really sorry I did that. I'm not sorry at all. I'm not really sorry, no. no. do it again if I could. Uh, <clears throat> how many of you here, when Dick Flighton was the senior pastor, let's see your hands. How about? That's great. Uh, Max Anders, that was our next pastor. Awesome.: Yeah. And, and Jim Rose? There you go. How many of you have climbed on that oak tree out there? Yeah, there's a lot of hands there. Last, last few, okay. How many of you have been here less than 10 years? 10 years or less? Awesome. How about five years or less? Well, great. You're gonna, we're going to have a great time today because your hand's growing, going up in all of those various questions. It is way beyond what you could ask or imagine and way more than the members of that original Bible study ever could ask or imagine which draws my attention to a passage of Scripture that was foundational for this church itself. It's in the book called Ephesians, and here's two sentences that serve as the climax of that book. Here's what it says. And now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we could ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church, that's us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever those two sentences are in fact the summary of the first 3 chapters of the book of Ephesians and in Ephesians is a book that's like a it's an owner's manual to how to do church what the church is how to run a church for example and this serves as as a, a, it's a doxology So it's leading up to and coming out of, so it's the summary of the first three chapters and serves as a climax for the whole book itself, because what it's doing here is it's summarizing the abundance of God's gifts to us. It talks about the overwhelming power that is available in Jesus Christ, and then then it shows us this mystery of this eternal connection between Jesus Christ and his church, abundant, Abundant far more, it says, immeasurably more. That's how he meets our needs. And then it says that, it, that to him be the glory in his church. To him be his glory in his church. That's first. And scholars have said the reason the church is mentioned first, it is because it is through the church that Jesus receives his glory. It's the means of that. The fact that the church is even mentioned in this, in this doxology is somewhat amazing. And the purpose of that is to show you that the bride and the groom, Jesus and his church, are wed forever, for eternity, forever and ever. And that's why it ends with amen. It's a prayer. It's, it is the truth. That's the way things are. And that's how the church got started, was built upon the things that we find in this book of Ephesians, in this idea that, it could, that the way that God's going to work in the universe is through his church in ways that that are greater than we could ever ask or imagine. Today is going to be an unusual Sunday. If you're here for the first time, we don't usually do this. We usually pick a passage of, of the Bible and look at that in detail and how it can apply to our lives. Today, it's a special day. It's the 50th anniversary of Grace. And I thought, well, you know what? Why don't we just tell a testimony of someone that I love and you love too? Her name? Her name is Grace. Her last name is Church. Middle name? Grace Covenant Church. It's a great story of suspense and sorrow, even has a little resurrection part of it. And since so many of you don't know this story, I think it'll be fun for you to know that. Let me tell you how it started. In 1968, 69, the Bible study started, but in the context of 1969, the world and particularly our country was off balance. 600 million people watched a man walk on the moon. 400,000 people went to a concert in Woodstock, New York. It was a troubling time. It was a conflicting time. It was the age of Aquarius, peace and harmony, and our cities were burning. It was a confusing time where people didn't know how to make sense out of the nonsense. And the the concept of do whatever you want, just love the one you're with, that has a high price on your soul, and people were walking, walking wounded amongst us. And so the Jesus movement got started about that time, and that's when Grace Covenant Church opened her doors in the dealership of a car, of a car, a car dealership. Can you imagine? In the in, I mean, this, no one had done that before. But think about it, in 1969, we're going to go to church in a car dealership. That's cool, man. You know, right? I tell you, it's a Mercedes Benz car dealership. Oh, that's way cool, man! And that's what they did. And you know, they, 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 they felt like the people that started the church felt like, in this context of a culture of confusion and injury, they wanted to bring this truth and love. If people knew the truth about who God is and what He has done, and love, they could respond to that. They had a value that every believer was a minister, and that meant the ministry was in the place of of work, place where they lived, or a place of significance for you. They wanted to teach the Bible with conviction, that there were reasons to believe it was the highest revelation from the creator of the universe, and so they taught it that way. If you ask those leaders in the early days, they would say, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just trying to follow what the way the Lord was leading us, and they did, and so the Lord blessed them more than they could ever ask or imagine, abundantly, immeasurably more than they could ask or imagine. 70s and the 70s, it was a growth spurt for grace. They bought the land here. They built some of the buildings that are on our campus today. They started sending missionaries all over the world. They started church planting, and church planting wasn't a thing. They started new churches around the city and around the state. It was a good time. If you ask the leaders that, uh, during that season at Grace, they would say, oh, no, we still don't know what we're doing. We're just trying to do whatever the Lord would call us to do. So they did. And the Lord blessed them immeasurably more than they could ever ask or imagine. In the mid eighties or so, Dick Flayton, the founding pastor of Grace Covenant Church, was becoming ill. He had cancer and it was coming back. And he was a much loved pastor here and he was very sick. It was an extremely difficult time. It was a crushing time for Dick Flayton's family and the leadership of Grace Covenant Church and their family. Because as Dick became more and more, you know, sick, his good friends had to insist that he step down and resign from the ministry. It was a very hard thing to hear and to say and one of the difficult times, one of the more difficult parts of leadership is that the people in the church would not understand that it was, it was a statement of love, it was an act of love, but it was a deep cut nonetheless. But the church continued because God was blessing the church, and the church wasn't built upon Dick Clayton or his family, and it continued. And then in 1988, the next senior pastor joined us. His name was Dr. Max Anders. He was very well-liked, but he was not well. Max, when, even when he came here, he was not well in that he, was a, he had several allergies, and he especially had an allergy to Austin. <laughs> all, all the seasons, all the allergy seasons of Austin, he was allergic to all of those seasons. And the longer he stayed here, the more ill he became. And as the years progressed, he was sick for longer periods of time. And then on October 11th, 1992, in the old auditorium, a woman came up on the stage with a handgun to shoot him. She was tackled from behind, and so there was no injuries to anyone. And we had a party that night at his house. Max, we had planned a, a little dessert party, of staff, and, and so we had that event. It was, like, it was as though nothing happened. The next Sunday, Max returned to the pulpit and explained what had happened to those people that weren't in that particular service. And then Max never returned to the pulpit again. He just couldn't climb the stairs. Now his allergies were attacking him with violence and revenge. And he didn't resign, he just kept thinking next week he would be back, next week he would be better. And it just, it was drug out. I'll be back next week for five months. The leaders at Grace, the elders, and some staff met multiple times a week into the morning trying to determine what are we supposed to do. Uh, and after five months, Max eventually did resign, and it, w- it was a terribly high price that everyone in the church had to pay, but especially the leadership. That storm season, it tore the sails and it cracked the mast of the church. Because I would say one of the most difficult parts of leadership is this, that, that when you have to make a very difficult decision where there really is no good outcome there are people that don't know very much of the facts, maybe a few percentages, but they'll tell you that whatever you're doing is the wrong decision. And that just that, that grinds on you like a grist mill. And many of the people here experienced that. It was, it was a difficult time in the context of what are we doing and who can we trust and how is this going to work. But you know what? God had his hand on us. And, and as a person came up between services uh, and, and told me, he said, look, I was there when Dick had to resign and I was there when Max had to resign. And the reason I stayed here was because I'd been part of so many churches where when the senior pastor left, everyone else did too. And I looked around and people didn't. And I thought, this is where I ought to be then. God blessed the church even in that difficult time. And I would say that God did immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine even in that time. And here's how. You might have heard the expression, you know, never trust a man or a woman who doesn't walk with a limp. Or maybe one that goes like this. The the knight that's wearing shining armor has never been tested. And during that time, back-to-back senior pastors that grew to a place where they were too ill to, to finish their job, That metal was bent and cut and tarnished. That was battle-tested armor. Grace earned her limp during that season. Because sometimes only pain can tell you the truth. All the while that was happening, there were still great ministry taking place on campus and around the world. We were thriving in our missions program and uh, ministries were alive because the ministries were were built upon every believer is a minister. And so the believers continued to do ministry. The strength of the church was in its foundation in the book of Ephesians about how the purpose of the leadership is to train the ministers to do the ministry. Well, in 1994... Jim Rose became our fourth senior pastor, or the third senior pastor. Now, he was a pastor of great notoriety and success. He was very stable and steady. He was a man with no guile. His wife was a spitfire, energetic leader, Phyllis Ann Rose, and this was supposed to be his retirement, his last ministry experience. He moved to Lano after that, started a church, then he started another church, and still travels the world preaching. So, so much for that, you know, idea of retirement. But it was the last years of that season of his life, and he spent his time here bringing us back. He unified the church. He brought health to grace and introduced a whole new worship style to grace. Our contemporary style of worship was done when, when Jim Rose was here. God was blessing our church in ways that we could never ask or imagine, immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Y2K, 2000, a whole new millennium. In 2001, Jim and I shared the pulpit together. I was looking for a job as a senior pastor at other places, and it turns out Grace was looking, and I was mildly interested. <laughs> um, and then in 2002, there was a seamless trans- transition between Jim's last Sunday and my first Sunday. That is a miracle. That doesn't happen very often. It's hard to find a church that has such a, a flow that way. God was gracious to us in that context. And, but, but what had happened over, the, over those years, you know, up until the, that new millennium, the world had changed. It had changed again and and people were still kind of desperately looking for things philosophers at the time were saying there's been a paradigm shift remember that there's been a paradigm shift and people were still hurt and confused but they were looking for meaning and purpose and identity in ways that previous generations hadn't and so at grace the leadership we felt like we needed to change what we were doing without changing grace do you see we, we had to change maybe our philosophy of ministry. We had to have a new philosophy of ministry without changing the nature of who she is and who God made grace to be. And so we realized that the Bible teaching was absolutely foundational and essential, and we would continue to teach the Bible authoritatively and trying to do as much as we can to apply it to our lives. We would never give up on every believer as a minister because that's a biblical truth, and that's the way the New Testament church is to be run. What we did do is we changed the value of pursuing people with truth and love to love and then truth. It was our estimation that people couldn't hear the truth because the sorrows of life had deafened them to that. They couldn't hear because of, of, uh, of the ringing in their ears due to loneliness there's never been a lonelier time in many respects. There, there was a hopelessness of people's addiction that kept them from hearing truth. They had to have some kind of hope, and that was found in love. People, people, couldn't, people couldn't let go of bitterness of their past. People were trapped in their past and didn't feel like they could, they could overcome that. People were scared to live in their present some other people were afraid of what their future might hold, and so we changed it was like Grace Covenant Church chapter two. It was going to be love and then truth and God has blessed us and blessed the lives that have come here in very in, in many amazing ways. The love of God as expressing itself in the very many ministries that we have throughout our campus that expand across well the city and the world, but also Our foundation that the Bible is the ultimate expression of God's revelation to man. We bring those two things in a different order. Well, our church began to expand again in size, and so we had to go to three services in 2004. So we did three services for five years. That was exhausting for me. We started a capital campaign, our first one in 30 years that was successful, that led to the building of this worship center. Awesome times. But I think between the five years of three services and the capital campaign that we were involved in and even working through the city to get this approved, I love this building. I love the joy that it involved in getting us here. But I'll tell you, working with the city, it was no labor of love. It was a labor of anger. That's what it was. Anyway, but the point is, eight years... uh, workload and the stress and a lot of the choices that I was making was tearing me apart, body and soul. And I was having a terrible time from October 2008 until February 2010. I just needed to get up. That was it. Just get up. It was a daily decision. And I I remember praying uh, for grace because I, I, what, I didn't feel like my prayers were being answered. And I said, God, grace can't handle. I just don't know if she should have to endure another senior pastor who became too ill to finish his job. Could you please make me well for her sake? People that knew me and the, the leadership here carried me and they prayed for me and they helped me get well. I had something wrong in my throat a, parathyroid that had to be removed I uh, made some I I got some rest and I made some life changes and I got a lot better I mean look at me I'm 37 years old look at me (laughs) is this awesome or what like it never happened and now today now today the church continues to grow and thrive all for the glory of God way more than we could ever ask or imagine Way more than we could ever have hoped for. We live with a reputation in the city of Austin that is worthy of our name, Grace. People know us in our neighborhoods that don't even go to church. And they know that we are a church of love and a church of truth. We have a nationally famous Celebrate Recovery. Nationally famous. They know about us on the West Coast, the the organization that started Celebrate Recovery. They talk about us often. We have a grief care. We have a divorce care. We have a thriving premarital counseling ministry and an amazing marriage ministry. We have communities that help people navigate life and practice their faith in every season of life. And I read recently in a leadership magazine about, you know, leadership in church magazine, that, guess listen, this is the new thing in town. This is how people are thriving in churches through adult Sunday school classes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Apparently, they're back. And we are, again, the cool kids. I love it when that happens. If you wear your bell bottoms long enough, you're like, you, you see, I told you. I told you they'd be back. So, the way we do discipleship now, even, with, this, with, with the value of, of discipleship, is being practiced again and again. I mean, we've made this transition as a church that's famous and notorious for excellent bible teaching to one that was famous for its uh, discipleship and now in its relational discipleship in a new expression of what deci- what a disciple means to become like Christ in all of life in all of life especially in the context of relationships your personal identity like who you are in a nutshell is two things what you believe and what your memories are. What you believe and what your memories are. That's who you are. That's who we are as a church, what we believe. Yahweh God, as He revealed Himself in the Bible throughout history and is recorded in the Bible, That it is by grace alone that you're saved. It is by grace alone that you're transformed. We believe that it was the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was more than sufficient to provide us the gift of salvation. Those things we hold together in our beliefs, we celebrate those. And we celebrate our memories, who we are, the good and the bad. We celebrate the great memories together, the baby dedications that we've had on the stage, the graduations, the weddings, the marriages. We rejoice and laugh together. And the sad times. The fullness of human experience is high and low, like no other created being. And so, we've experienced funerals and deaths together, of our children becoming prodigals, of divorces and and separations of things that were meant to live forever. So, we cry together, because that's what we do. We're living life together. That's what a church is. It's something very special. It's beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. It's the fullness of what God has for us. When we think about our future memories, this is what I want to, this is the application section here, okay? This is, when we think about our future memories, think of this, your purpose. Why are you here now? Why are you here now for such a time as this? It's an Old Testament saying for such a time as this. It's about Esther, who in all kinds of evil, she's a victim of all sorts of evil, where she's taken away from her uncle because she's an orphan and and sent into, I don't know, a contest to be the wife, the queen of a megalomaniac, an insane sociopath. And she, what, wins and becomes the queen? And in that moment of, of her royal Position, her uncle confronts her and says, you need to go and talk to the king because who knows that you have been not been put here for such a time as this. When we look at that storyline in the, the life of Esther, it's easy to see in many respects. But the, if you understand the Bible and who God is and what he's done, every single one of us is Esther. For such a time as this, in God's sovereignty, in His foreknowledge, in His middle knowledge of all things that could happen, if He could have placed you anywhere at any time and it would have caused you to bring more glory to Him, He would have put you there or then. But He didn't. So, He put you here now for this very purpose. So... You need to play your part. You need to see yourself as a single thread in a divine tapestry that hangs at the banquet wall of the king's castle for eternity. It never weathers. It never fades. Just be that thread for such a time as this. Your choices are expressions to all the world All the created things, seen and unseen, that you are playing a part in God's divine tapestry. Everybody plays a part. No minor roles. And when you do that, you're going to live a life that is measurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone. Look, it's World Series season, right? Go Astros. Think about it this way. Yeah. Astros. Yeah. (laughs) Now you clap. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) Well guys, they're going to ha- those Astros, they're going to get a they're going to get a World Series ring for bringing the champions of the of major all of major league baseball in just a couple of games now, right? And all the players are going to get a ring and the and the managers are going to get a ring and the coaches are going to get a ring. Every full-time employee is going to get a ring. I have a ring right here. World Series ring from the Atlanta Braves. John Flannery, big John Flannery lent me this ring to show you. He didn't play on that Braves team. He, he was a recruiter for them. And it fits nicely right here on my thumb. It's a, actually, it's a little wobbly here. I'm going to put it back in my pocket so I don't. The, the point is, is everyone, everyone plays a part on that team. Look, the, the, the full-time people working in the laundry, they are part of the team because if the players are laundering their own uniforms they don't have enough time to practice hitting a grand slam home run in the 7th inning <laughs> it's all part of a, it's all part of this team thing everybody plays a part there's no minor parts my story, Melinda had me look it up. I went through my, all my old calendars. In 1988, 31 years ago, Melinda and I met with Max Anders, the senior pastor at the time. We'd spent two, three years trying to start a church here in Austin and didn't have, we had nothing. Okay, we had no money. We had no hope. And so we asked Max, is there any pastoral positions open? And he said, no. I said, I just, man, I've been watching you guys for years. I just want to play a part on the team. I just want to be on the team. I can fix stuff can I work in the maintenance department? I would love to work maintenance. I can fix stuff. I can break stuff, but I can fix stuff, too. And he said, no, we got a guy doing that. I said, I've seen that guy, Bob Comp. He's 80 years old. <laughs> like, I'm 26, man. Come on, I can hold his tape measure, can't I? No, we, we got that covered. He called me a f- about a few months later. He says, hey, our youth guy left. Do you want to take the youth position? I went, no. I not <laughs> <laughs> want to be on the team that bad. Well, you know, I kind of... There was further wearing down. There's more part of the story where a couple of elders came to me later on and said, you know, do you want to do the youth job? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll take, I'll take it. Well, it's interesting. You know what? One of the moms of the kids in the youth group told me in the lobby between services, she said, y- you weren't doing youth ministry. That, you said no to that. I was like, yeah, you know what? We were doing an adult ministry to, to young adults that were still in high school and junior high. And so I never, that was the problem. I didn't want to do my old experience with youth ministry. I wanted to do adult ministry to young adults. And so I did that best decade of my life, and I'm thankful for God for that. But I just, the point is, I just wanted to get on the team, you know. I just wanted to be somewhere when the rings were handed out of a church like this. I got a ring. And, you know, when I was a student pastor, have you ever done a thing where you look, when you get a little bit older and you get a little distance from the moment, you look back and you see your motives, what you used to do and why. I think when I was the youth guy, I spent those first two years like breaking everything. We did a skit where we kicked the door in, a a solid core door, and we kicked it in off the hinges and it shattered the doorknob and the door when it hit the ground. And now, when I look back, I was thinking, you know, those first couple years when I was breaking windows and doors and everything else, I think a lot of it was because I was looking over at Bob Comp because he had my job, and I resented him for that. You know what I mean? And if he were alive today, I feel like I'd owe him an apology, Bob. I, I, I wanted your job, and so anyway, I don't. Here's a point. Hold on. Wait a minute. I'm gonna. Oh, okay. Here's the point. Here's the point. Find that church. You find that church where you there's no perfect churches okay but you find that church where you just want you want to be on that team when they're handing out the rings you want to play a part you just want to be part of that tapestry you want to be there because that's where God is doing his work look we've had people at this church that moved away and then they came back because they wanted to be here we've had people make decisions career decisions that they wouldn't move because they wanted to be with this church Here's the secret and meaning and purpose of life. Ready? You find out where God is working in miraculous ways, and you go figure out a way to sneak into that. You go in the back door when no one's watching. You do whatever it takes. You get to where God is working. God has been working here. This has been a great church. She's not new. She has scars. She has weathered storms. She has done some great things over the years. And she has great things ahead. This is a great place to have been. It's a great place to be. I want to encourage you to come and stay, enjoy, get connected, and love. Love deeply the truths that come from the Word of God. Here's what Jesus promises those who involve themselves in his bride. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we could ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church, in his church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Let me pray the prayer, the prayer of Jabez for this great church. Lord, you have blessed this church immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And I know that small Bible study that started in 1968 had none of this in mind. And we are grateful for that. They just did what was next. They just followed you any way they could. And those men and women that weathered the storms, that have felt your presence in good places and in and dark places, we are grateful for them. Lord, that they might be rewarded for that. Lord, I'd ask that you would bless grace, bless her indeed, that you would enlarge her borders, that your hand might be with her, that you would keep her from hurt or harm. God, that you would bless grace covenant. Thank you, Lord, the way you've lived and worked through us over these 50 years. Here's to 50 more. In Jesus' name, amen.